Good evening. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Well, I think most of you knew that I was going to be speaking tonight. And uh, all I can say is that if it doesn't go well, you know, I'm afraid you've got nobody to blame but yourselves. You've been warned, right? So no, I'm glad you came here tonight. And uh, I know it's an encouragement to pastor to know that the church is faithful, even though uh, he is uh, is away, so uh, I'm glad you came. <clears throat> but uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago I had the privilege of preaching the Sunday morning service. Uh, many of you are gone to camp and all of that. Uh, as usual, my family finds a way to uh, escape uh, any sort of a lesson that I might have for them, I think. But uh, no, some of you are away, but uh, as you might remember, I have some trepidation about uh, public speaking, and uh, it, you know it just—it doesn't get any easier when you when you you know you come into something like tonight and you know having to follow. Uh, Brent New did our adult Sunday school class today and did a fantastic job, I might add. And uh, then you then you throw Ty into the mix, and uh, you know you get Ty who you know walks around here looking like some sort of homeless messiah, but then he comes up here. <laughs> he comes up here and just knocks it out of the park, right? And uh, I, I, I walk away thinking, you know, I, how does he do that, you know? It's just tie being tie, right? And uh, how does he do that? But, it, you know, had I known that his mother put together such good sermons for him, I, I, had I known that a week ago, Ty, I would have asked her to put something together for me, and uh, no, but Ty and I, we actually talked last week, I think it was, uh, just uh, maybe after the evening service, and we were talking about some of the anxiety that, that goes along with trying to fill the shoes of pastor, you know, even if it's just for one service or, uh, you know, one Bible study or something like that, and I mean, you, you try to do your best not to look stupid, right, but... Sometimes, you know, I don't know for me, I, I just can't help it. I just do it anyway. But uh, anyway, it, it is, I mean, there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, a, a little bit of intimidation that goes on there, I suppose. And, uh, you know, we kind of confessed, I think both of us confessed to kind of having some nerves about this. Of course, this is no secret, I confessed that the last time I was up here. Uh, but he gave me, you know, it, 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 he got to the point where he kind of put on that cloak of encouragement. And, and he... he gave me his best advice, and he said, just don't pass out, <laughs> which I took very seriously because I know that we have public or first responders here, and uh, I, you know, the last thing I wanted was Chad or somebody trying to give me mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, you know. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing is that after this morning's comments, I know the way that Chad feels is that if he had to come up here and give me mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, what he would do is he would lean down over me, and he would look me in the eye and say, Jeff, you're going to die. You know? <laughs> but, uh, no, I, seriously, I don't know how it works for you guys, Brent, Ty, and Patrick. Uh, you know, they'll all fill in for pastor from time to time. But, you know, one of the toughest things for me uh, in doing this, um, certainly the nerves, but the other thing is just really dealing with the conviction that comes along with studying and preparing for some sort of a sermon or a lesson uh, that you you really feel strongly about, and it begins to kind of to work on you. As Chad mentioned, I mean, this is not something that 
I don't think any of us just kind of throw together last minute. There's hours involved. And it seems like the more time you spend, the more convicted you can get about your own sermon. So I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to anybody, I suppose. But uh, it is something uh, very real. This is, this, this, this is no exception to that. Uh, I can tell you that, uh, you know, this is a very convicting topic for me. But uh, I would think that maybe if we're honest with ourselves, uh, that we would all confess uh, to the fact that maybe we need to do better in our prayer lives. Prayer is going to be the focus tonight, but not just prayer. More specifically, prayer that moves God. So, you know, the question I have for you is, have you ever asked yourself, why does it seem like my prayers never get answered? I know I have. I know I've gone through that. You know, it's interesting to kind of gauge the requ- our, our, our response to questions like that. It seems that most people are going to respond one of three ways. Number one, they're either going to respond with something like this. You know, some people are going to just continue to pray patiently and wait on God. That's great. The others may give up easily when their prayer isn't answered immediately. And thirdly, and probably even worse... Some people have given up on prayer altogether, having concluded that prayer simply doesn't work. Am I wrong, or is God still in the prayer answering business? Yeah. You know, you can challenge me on that statement, but uh, every time I see Aaron Edwards walk into this church, as I did today, I, I, I get str- more, more strongly convicted about my position and my stand on that, that God is absolutely in the prayer answering business. So why does it seem that some people have the ability to move God to action with their prayer life while others don't? That's, uh, I mean, what is it that really kind of limits our effectiveness, the the effectiveness of our prayer life? You know, tonight I want to take just a little bit of time to read some scripture and see if we can kind of identify some of the essential elements uh, in offering prayer that moves God. That'll be our title tonight, Prayer That Moves God. So, I'll tell you what, I think now would be a good time to just kind of open up in prayer now that we're talking about it, all right? Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to worship you freely. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Lord, we thank you for your promises uh, that you've given us. And, Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, just thank you uh, that we can come to you in prayer, that you are still a prayer-answering God. And, uh, Lord, we just uh, pray that tonight as we look through these, uh, these scriptures that you, would, uh, that you would convict us, each of us, about our prayer lives, Lord, if we're not where we need to be. And, Lord, even if we think we are, uh, there's probably more that we could be doing in our prayer lives, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us with that. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would just clear my mind of all the, the things that might be a distraction at this time. And, uh, Lord, as well as everybody in this room, Lord, help us to focus on your word. We'll ask this in your name. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 12, we, uh, we have, uh, I tell you what, we have a, a story about Peter who's in prison. I'm just going to go ahead and read. If, you're, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and look at verse 1. And we're going to be reading... A few scriptures, we're going to reference some stuff tonight, but we're going to call Acts chapter 12 kind of our home base for tonight. So keep your place there, even as we turn to and from 
uh, other passages. But Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now about this time Herod the king stretched forth his his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in, his, he put him in prison and delivered him uh, to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with, with chains, and, he, uh, and keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, uh, which was done by the angel, but thought he he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed through and passed through one street, and forthwith. The angel departed from him. And when Peter was come uh, to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came uh, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many many, uh, were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she, saw, or when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them now uh, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. So we've got this account here in the Bible of Peter's imprisonment. And, uh, you know, it's it's just really interesting to kind of read through this story and, and just the sequence of events that take place. I mean, just reading that alone... And everything tells you that, you know, there's a God who answers prayer. I mean, all the stuff that happened there, you know, the gates opening by themselves and all of this stuff. And uh, it's just really amazing. 
And I know it's, it's really, it's impossible to improve upon the written word of God. I understand that. But if you'll allow me, I want to kind of just add some commentary to this, to this passage that we've just read. And uh, maybe even add a little bit of color that will kind of help us understand the gravity of the situation and why the prayer of the people was so important at this time. So here we are in this passage. According to the, to the scripture, King Herod had already proceeded to uh, persecute the believers uh, there in Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem. And he had already put James to death by the sword, the Bible tells us. And uh, he saw how this pleased the Jews. I mean, how morbid were these people, right? Somebody gets, you know, the sword to them, and, and these people were extremely pleased. But it really shouldn't surprise anybody because these Jews, they, they really disliked the Christian, Christians. And in fact, they really kind of considered them to be somewhat of an occult if you will. And, you know, unfortunately for Christians, seeing uh, the positive reaction that Herod got from uh, the Jews after he killed James, he decided to capture and imprison Peter. And he intended to bring him before the Jews right after the Passover. The time of the Passover was complete. And uh, with the intention of just uh, killing him, putting him to death. So we see that to ensure Peter's captivity that he wouldn't escape or that maybe certain of the Jews wouldn't somehow uh, form some sort of elaborate escape, uh, you know, you know, break or some prison break of some sort. So Herod, Herod assigns these four quaternions, which is basically a, a squad. Uh, he assigned four of them. And then each quaternion, as you might imagine, had four soldiers. And the way that this would work, this was something that uh, this was a Roman uh, thing that uh, Herod adopted. And the way that this would work, of the four soldiers, they would post two at the door, and then they would post two or chain two, literally chain two, to the prisoner, Peter in this case. So one to his right, one to his left. And this was more or less their idea of a maximum security prison. And what's interesting is that what they would do, depending on the circumstances, depending on the prisoner uh, and what sort of a flight risk maybe they thought that he was, they would rotate those groups of soldiers every three to six hours so that they would remain fresh and alert so that there was no possible chance of escape by that prisoner. How ironic is that? We know the ending, right? But uh, according to the scripture... In response to Peter's imprisonment, we see that the Christians gather together at Mary's house to pray that God would intervene in order to save Peter's life. You know, maybe for some of them, if you think about this, maybe for some of them, their faith was a little bit wavering. I mean, James had already been killed and it didn't look too good for Peter. I mean, they were facing, I mean, tomorrow... Here we are, 5, 5.30 in the evening. Tomorrow, they're facing Peter's execution. Didn't look good. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 12 sums it up quite well when it says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So what exactly was it about this prayer uh, that was being offered that moved God to action? You know, was there something that these first century Christians had that, that us as 21st century Christians don't possess? 
I don't, I don't know that that's the case. But, you know, I suppose there's probably several uh, things that we could uh, do or, or several ways that we could strengthen our prayer life. And, and we could probably back each of those up with Scripture in some way, I suppose. But tonight, based on the passage that we've read, I want to focus on three essential elements of an effective prayer that can move God to action. So the first thing that we need to know is that prayer that moves God must be offered to God. Now, I know that sounds crazy, right? And you're probably thinking, uh, thanks, Captain Obvious. Uh, that was a vital piece of information that you just dropped on us. Well, I promise you there's, there's a purpose for saying exactly what I said. You know, the church of Jerusalem and all of us who are believers, you know, in we can confidently bring our request to the Lord because we know that he is the one to whom we pray and he is the one who's going to answer our prayer. And I want you to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to try not to lose my place. That would be awful. Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to follow along, starting in verse number 14. Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, we have to understand that there are people all over this world right now who believe in a God, small g. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, what's interesting is that they'll take time to pray to this God. And, uh, but, you know, in reality, their, their prayer is directed to a God who suits their lifestyle or a God that's in agreement with all of the life choices that they make. And, uh, you know, that, that's... It, it's nothing more than a God that is created in their own mind. And, uh, you know, these man-made gods, they have no power to answer prayer. And they can offer no assurance of heaven, for sure. And, uh, you know, but some people even have gone so far as to discount the fact that there is an actual literal hell. Uh, rather saying that, uh, you know, our God is a God of love and, and he welcomes everybody to heaven. Well, the, the only problem with that is the fact that they have no foundation for any such claim. You know, they don't have the hope that we have. And all their prayers are useless, and they have absolutely no effect on their own lives. In contrast, we know that the one true God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. We know that he hates sin, and one day he's going to stand in judgment over every man, woman, and child. Everyone. But you know what? Thankfully, he's also a loving God, and he's not willing that any should perish. And ultimately, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, through whom we have forgiveness for our sins. You know, this is the God of the Bible. And I can tell you this, if, if this is not the God that you're offering your prayer to, don't be surprised when your prayers aren't answered. You know, I, I don't care who you are. It doesn't really matter. You know, as Christians, we need to understand that prayer is a vital part of a relationship with God. 
And we need to know that there's more, more to prayer than just uh, asking for things that we need or that we want. You know, sometimes we need to just take the time to offer a prayer to God to thank him for who he is and what it is that he's already done in our lives. You say, oh, well, you don't understand. Uh, you know, I've got this pressing need, this pressing financial, financial need that God hasn't met yet. You know, what, well, let me tell you something. God's already done something miraculous in your life. If you're here tonight and you're saved and you've got an eternity in heaven to look forward to, let me tell you, that is, that is far greater than any financial gain that you may have in this world. Don't tell me that God has not done anything for you. We need to understand that. The second thing that we need to know is that prayer that moves God is offered fervently. Fervently. Boy, that's an interesting word. Brent, in the Sunday school this morning, he actually, he was talking about using the word grace, and he was talking about how there's kind of two definitions for it. There's kind of that biblical definition, and then there's kind of a more modern definition. And, you know, we kind of, some words, they kind of lose some weight or meaning uh, over time fervently or fervent is really it's no longer a common word it's not uh, it's not something that we use very often you know i don't i don't see andy and maureen sitting around the uh, uh the dinner table and you know tossing out words like fervent well andy i do actually i don't know why he would be the guy that used that word but uh, I, you know it's not a common word that we have fervent or fervently is usually used to describe some sort of a heat or, or something hot if you will uh, so for firefighters, you know, when they enter a burning building, that's a fervent heat, is it not? It is a fervent heat. I've got a foundry outside of my office, and we've got furnaces where we, we melt a lot of aluminum and things of that nature. And, you know, I like to walk out there and, and just look at everything, and I'll run my hands through there just to kind of feel that heat. That is a fervent heat. But that's not really the definition that we're looking for. The definition that we're looking at here is more like intense, impassioned, earnestly, sincere, or zealous. And I know it's hard to believe, but we can, we can relate to this word because just today after, after the morning service, I was having a conversation with a couple of Buckeyes who were very fervent, Brian and Nathaniel, very fervent Buckeye fans. We can understand that, right? But that's okay because these altars are always open and there'll be time. There'll be time to repent from all of that. All right, guys? There'll be time. Don't worry. But no, I mean, I think it's something that we can relate to. Even though we don't use the word, I think it's something that we can relate to. And, uh, you know, as we think about Acts chapter 12, you know, from a human perspective, there was absolutely no hope for Peter. I mean, it, it was the 11th hour. He was already in prison. He was shackled to two guards. There were another two guards at the door. As time went on, every three to six hours, those guards would be rotated so that they were fresh. And, and uh, guys, these, these, these guys were trained, okay? I mean, these guys were trained. The things that you might hear about Roman soldiers and things of that nature, uh, it, it's just unbelievably barbaric, the things that they could do. Uh, with just their hands. and um, But it just seemed like there was no hope for Peter at this time. And he was going to be executed that next day. But we see that God answered the prayer of the Christians that were at the church there in Jerusalem. And he 
He interceded on Peter's behalf. So according to the scripture, we see that the angel appeared in the jail cell. He, he awakened Peter and told him to quickly follow him. So immediately we see that Peter's chains fell off. Now, wait a minute. Uh, there were these soldiers that were also on those chains and they were rotated every three to six hours and they were the best of the best and they were supposed to make sure that he was supposed to, you know, not, not escape. There were another couple of soldiers at the door. How does all this happen? You know, I, I don't know, was Peter the ninja disciple or something like that? No. The Bible says that there was an angel that entered that room and took care of all of this thing. And uh, we, we see that he was told to follow him. His chains fell off. And as he followed the angel past the guards, okay, and, and, and out of the prison, they approach an iron gate which opens by itself, and they walk through. That's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing story. You know, and Peter found himself on a street, and the angel suddenly disappears. You know, if you if you read this passage, you, you see that in there where Peter kind of came to himself. You know, there was a time when all this was happening, where Peter was with the angel, and he was exiting the prison, and he thought, this has to be a vision. This has to be some sort of a dream. This can't be real. He kind of came to himself and he realized that it was real. You know, he came to the realization that it wasn't a vision. It wasn't a dream. But he'd been rescued by God. You know, after making his way to Mary's house, Peter, the Bible says that Peter knocked on the door of the gate. But the servant girl who answered the gate was so shocked that, what did she do? She didn't let him in. She turns around, she goes back to the group that's inside praying and said, you're never going to believe it, but Peter's outside. And what is their response? You're nuts. You're absolutely crazy. Maybe it's his angel. Maybe Herod killed him a few hours early and that's his angel out there. And what, what does the Bible say? Peter's out there just the whole time. He's just knocking. He's just, hey, hello, Peter, anybody there? Guys are in there, they're just chatting it up. Finally, they go there, open the gate, and it's Peter. And they're like, woohoo, right? They're, they're, they're kind of celebrating the fact that this is Peter. Somehow he escaped. He's telling them what happened, but he, he's, he's like, hey, calm down. Keep it quiet. Be quiet. He said, you know, we don't, want, we don't want to be found out. It was kind of a... An interesting, if not bizarre, situation, I think. So the Christians who had fervently prayed for Peter, you know, they may, they may have had some unbelief, but how, how much do you think that their faith was increased when they opened the door, finally opened the door, and they see Peter standing there? Hmm. Yeah. You know, fervent prayer is motivated by love and deep concern. It's offered with enthusiasm, with feeling, with faith. It's not a casual list of requests, but it's prayer that flows from the heart. And it's usually over a very pressing need or a pressing matter. And, you know, one of the best examples of fervent prayer in the Bible is shown in Luke chapter 22. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
This, of course, is the uh, passage that uh, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane for his crucifixion. Luke chapter 22, we're going to look in verse number 39. It says, And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being, uh, in, an, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, according to the scripture, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in agony. He prayed earnestly, the Bible says, or fervently. Um, I don't know what kind of, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how intense you would have to be thinking or praying or whatever to sweat as if it were great drops of blood. But that's exactly what the Bible says was happening. And that is a pretty good example of praying earnestly or fervently. You know, fervent prayer is a persistent prayer that doesn't stop asking, seeking, and knocking until God answers. Praying fervently for others, you know, sometimes it's going to involve deliverance from a situation. Sometimes, you know, it could include praying that the Lord might block uh, or hinder something uh, that, that we would not be allowed to continue down that path. Sometimes that's what fervent prayer involves. Unfortunately, you know, we as humans, we, we often choose to go down a path that might be uh, not what's best for us. It might be a d dangerous or destructive path, maybe for physical reasons, maybe for emotional reasons, maybe spiritual reasons. And, you know, we as Christians ought to pray one for another when we see that. You know, as a church family, we've got to be faithful to lift each other up in prayer. And if we know that there is a need, you know, we ought to pray fervently with and for one another. You know, when we have a burden, one of the things that we can do is that we can, we can share it one with another. You know, we can, we can have that prayer partner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, as a church family, we ought to be able to share our burdens and our needs with one another so that we can pray fervently one for another. And you know what? I'm so glad that we have a discipleship program that encourages that. And that's exactly what that's about. If you're a discipler here today, you need to make sure that you're praying for your disciple. Uh, number two, you need to make sure you're praying with your disciple. And, you know, if there's any needs... Pray earnestly, pray fervently together that those needs might be met. The last thing that I want you to know is that prayer that moves God is made according to his will. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> First John chapter 5, verse 14 the Bible says this, this is, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 
And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we, we have the petition that uh, we desired of him. You know, I, I probably don't need to tell you this, but this particular chapter, a lot of this is dealing with assurance in our faith. And uh, you, you look back up at uh, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that you may know, you know, this is all about assurance. So we know, we understand that, uh, we're talking to Christians here. And I just, I find it interesting that, you know, it seems like whenever there is some sort of a tragedy, uh, you know, whatever it may be, you, you can count on it. I mean, it's like, just start your little stopwatch. You can count on it. One of these entertainer types is going to come out and, you know, they're going to make a public address or they're going to tweet out a message to say, hey, I'm praying for this situation or whatever. All the while, you know, just living just immorally, open immorality. And, you know, just I, I, there's something about me that thinks maybe that God isn't hearing that prayer. And I think maybe it has something more to do with likes on their homepage than it does having any sort of a prayer answered. I, I don't know why that is, why they feel the need to do that. You know, it kind of reminds me a story about uh, an atheist who took a walk out in the woods and he was just uh, walking through and it was a perfect day. The sun was shining. There was a little bit of a breeze that was just causing that sway in the trees and the river, the ri water in the river was just flowing so peacefully and it, it was just perfect. And, you know, being an atheist, he, he certainly didn't want to give God credit for any of that. So, you know, he's just looking around, taking it all in, and he's thinking to himself, you know, wow, what a, what a great job Mother Nature did with this setting. This is just absolutely amazing. And as he continued to walk through there, a huge grizzly bear comes out of the woods, and it charges at him, and it's getting ready to overtake him. And, and he turns, and, I mean, just in fear of his life, and he runs and unfortunately, he stumbles and he falls. And here's this giant grizzly standing over him, raising his claws in the air, just getting ready to strike him and kill him. And suddenly that atheist, he, he cries out, he prays out, God, help me. Suddenly, everything stops. Suddenly, everything stops. There was a, a bright light. You know, the, the, the trees stopped swaying. The, the bear was just frozen right there. Mouth open, claws just, yeah, you know, and all that good stuff. And, and the river, the, the river stopped. Everything, it was as if time itself was frozen. And this atheist, he knew that that light, he knew it was God. And he said to him, God, he says, I know it might sound hypocritical of me to, ask you to make me a Christian at, in a time like this. He said, but would you do me a favor? He said, would you make this bear a Christian? And God answered him and said, no problem. I'll grant your request. And suddenly that light went out and the trees began to move again. The waters were flowing. And that bear who was poised and ready to strike that man and just take his life right there, suddenly fell to his knees, clapped his hands together and said, God, thank you for this delicious meal that you have provided for me. I don't know if that atheist was praying to God's will, but I think God's will was accomplished. I don't know. But anyway, you say, what in the world does that have to do 
with praying according to God's will? Well, you know, it's actually pretty simple. Prayer was never meant simply to, uh, to serve our own purpose. That's not what it was about. You know, while it's true that our, our purpose is often served through prayer or as a result of prayer, the primary purpose of our prayer life should be to glorify God and to further his kingdom. That should be the, that should be the goal, the priority of our, of our prayer life. You know, thinking specifically about the original text back in Acts chapter 12, you know, the Christians there in the church of Jerusalem, they weren't praying for their own purpose. They, they, they didn't, you know, there was nothing about, you know, Peter being delivered that was necessarily for their purpose. It wasn't going to help their household income or anything of that nature. But they were praying, their, their purpose in praying was to see uh, that God would intervene on Peter's behalf to spare his life that God's kingdom could be furthered at that time in that place. You know, does this mean that we can't ask for any sort of special need or a request that we may have for us personally or maybe for another brother or sister in Christ? Absolutely not. However, as Christians, our primary goal, it ought to be, I mean, it, it should be a matter of, uh, of glorifying God. I mean, that, that, should, that should be our primary goal. And, you know, it, it should be that, you know, like the, uh, I think it's in John, where the uh, blind man, uh, you know, the, the, the disciples were walking by with Jesus, and they said, you know, who, who did sin that this man may be born blind? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus said, it wasn't him or his parents. It was that the power of God might be made manifest in his life. That should be the purpose of our prayer life. You know, that should be our goal. That was the goal of the Christians here. You know, that should be the goal when we make a request in a special need for ourselves or for our family or for our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That should be the goal. You know, we've got to learn. I mean, if, if our purpose in prayer is first and foremost to glorify God, then our request must be made according to his will, not our own. You know, it's not always easy, but we have to we have to work at making our will subject to God's will. And, you know, when we do that, that's when we'll start to see results in our prayer life. Absolutely is. You know, we have to understand that as Christians, prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do. And God desires to answer our prayer, you know, when we come to him with a clean heart. That's a very important element right there in itself. You know, and we should always seek to make that request according to God's desires and ask him to block whatever it is that might be a hindrance to having his will be done in our lives. That's exactly how we should formulate our prayers. You know, he'll give us, if we do that, he'll give us a discerning spirit to know the truth. And he's going to give us insight that we need for life. What does the Bible say in Jeremiah 33, 3? He says, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know, I don't know where you guys are with your prayer life. I, I don't know if you needed this. I know I did. But do you ever feel like you've labored in prayer without results? Have you given up on prayer because you just came to the conclusion that you just don't think it works? Hopefully that's not the case. But if it is, you know, no matter where you're at really, you just need to ask yourself, are you directing your prayer to the God of the Bible, or if you redefined him, uh, you know, based on what your desires are. Hopefully that's not the case. 
Are you committed to praying fervently in order to move God to action? And then are you praying for your own purpose or is the purpose of your prayer to glorify God? You know, maybe we just need to hit a reset button in our prayer lives. You know, like those disciples who asked Jesus, you know, they they said, teach us to pray. You know, maybe we need to make our prayer life part of our prayer life. In other words, pray to God and ask him to show you how we ought to pray. You know, that would be a good way to start. I promise you, he's not going to leave you hanging. If you, if you suddenly redirect or refocus your prayer life so that it glorifies him instead of, uh, you know, benefiting us and our, our immediate needs or what have you, I, I assure you, he is not going to turn his back on you. It is just, it doesn't work that way. We need to learn to pray more effectively. I think these are just a few of the steps that we can take to do that. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, for the day that we've had in church, Lord. Thank you for uh, the other men who have been able to fill in today. And.